Coming up in this podcast, FMG's new leadership, iron ore market, Craig Moston's acquisition, the boom and bust economy, Fiona Wood, Rod Jones and the state's wealth creators. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News with Mark Pownall and Mark Beyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Now, Mark, before we start, I'm just going to do a little shout out to an, an this is an anonymous one to some a chief executive who came up to me at an event during the week. Uh, so this is for the Scotsman who's listening out there. So that'll narrow the field down a bit. <laughs> but it was very amusing. He recognised my voice from the podcast. He said, ah, I listen to you every day or very every good. week. So that was great. Um, now, Mark, big news this week was the changes at the top for Fortescue Metals Group. Uh, a big change to female executive ranks in WA. Yeah, no, very interesting news. Um, so Fortescue announced a couple of months ago that Nev Power would be stepping down as chief executive after a very successful run. And most people were tipping Greg Lilliman to take over. Uh, he was previously at Rio Tinto. He's in there as operations director, very well qualified for the job. Um, the other outsider who ended up getting the nod was Elizabeth Gaines, the chief financial officer, um, got a lot of experience in a number of uh, listed and unlisted businesses. Um, so look, you know, a really significant development. There's been a, a gradual trend towards women getting involved at a board level with listed companies with a lot of prodding and a lot of pushing. Mm. Um, but it's very rare very rare to have a woman as chief executive and certainly of a top 50 company. You know, there's just a handful around Australia. And so with this appointment, it's fair to say Elizabeth Gaines will be the most senior uh, female business executive in the country. Yeah, right. And significant globally. I mean, very few cases of, in fact, only one other at Anglo-American, uh, briefly, where a woman ran a globally significant mining company. Mm-hmm. So once again, you know, this is a significant development on an international scale. And interestingly here, FMG has a bit of form. They've actually got quite a significant female population on their board, correct? Yeah, look, five out of their nine directors are women. Yep. So very unusual situation there. Um, and not just Elizabeth Gaines getting the CEO role, uh, Julie Shuttleworth, who in fact was one of our 40 under 40 award winners a few years ago. She's been selected as deputy chief executive. So she currently runs the Solomon mining operation. Um, in fact, I spoke to her last year up at Solomon. Um, she's you know one of those amazingly dynamic, energetic people. She's got um, a young child. So she was doing FIFO whilst pregnant um, and combines that with travel and outdoor pursuits and so quite a phenomenal character Um, so Elizabeth Gaines and Julie Shuttleworth now the top two executives um, along with Greg Lilliman um, running the shop and look we had a bit of a look around to get some perspective on this and looked at you know there's a handful of other women who we would rate as seriously influential in business in WA yep obviously Gina Reinhardt Runs, owns her own business, <laughs> yeah. now a very big iron ore business. Um, Zoe Univich, she's the chairman of Shell Australia, yeah. came back to Perth a couple of years ago to take that job. And they're obviously doing prelude, so they're, they're pretty active in the development space in oil and gas when most of the others have stopped. 
that's right. As well as Queensland, they got big operations of there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, after that, you know, Tracy Horton, she's chairman of Navitas, but you know, quite un- very unusual for a woman to be chair mm-hmm. of a, a significant listed company. Mary Hackett has a big role. At, she's chief executive for Australia and New Zealand for Baker Hughes, the old GE oil and gas. A few prominent directors, people like Diane Smith-Gander, Sharon Warburton, Shirley Interveld, uh, Fiona Harris. Um, but, you know, really there's not a lot that you'd say are right up there at the top no. of, of influence and power in business. So hats off to uh, Fortescue um, and, and good luck to Elizabeth Gaines for her a big new role, which will start in the new year. Yeah, and look, credit to Andrew Forrest, you know, he's, he's the... He's the one who sort of made that happen. He's obviously prepared to go, you know, push the boundaries, uh, you know, when others are too tentative. It's mm. kind of fascinating. Now, the other half of the Fortescue announcement, the sort of the, they've signalled a very major shift in their strategy. The iron ore that Fortescue currently digs up is relatively low grade. So they've been getting a big price discount when they sell it into China. Um, and this is all on the back of the Chinese trying to clean up um, air pollution. So if you've got high-grade ore, you're getting a premium. And in fact, Tim Treadgold did some very interesting analysis, which is in our current edition of Business News. People like Sino-Iron that make the high-grade magnetite concentrate, he's saying that they're among the big winners here because they're getting a, a big premium when they sell their ore 65% plus iron compared to the Fortescues of the world who've been getting this big discount. So Andrew Forrest sort of married up the new appointments with news that they're going to have to shift and get higher quality ore. So major change in their strategy there. Yeah, right. And I guess that's uh, that's Elizabeth Gaines's problem to deal with. Well, her and Greg Lilliman. Yes, so, yeah. of course. Um, now, look, uh, switching from the iron ore business to really agribusiness, Craig Moston is a well-known family business that moved its headquarters to Perth, I think it was about a decade ago, if I remember rightly. Um, it's expanded its holdings here again. Yeah. And look, this sort of follows on from the discussion we had last week about some prominent, long-running family businesses in Western Australia. So Craig Moston Group has struck a deal to buy V&V Walsh. That's a big business operating down around Bunbury. They're one of the biggest um, sheep meat um, or meat processing businesses in the, in the state. They've yep. got about a 1,000 people on their payroll. And it's quite an unusual deal. It's a five-year transition. So Peter Walsh and the other management team mm-hmm. will stay on for five years, reporting into a new board of directors. Um, but then there'll be this phase changeover, and eventually it'll come under the Craig Moston banner. Okay. And one of the points Peter Walsh mentioned, he said he's really pleased that a 60-year-old family business will be coming under the ownership of another long-running family business. Yeah. So, you know, we talk a lot about listed companies, but it's nice to see family businesses growing. Um, Interesting too, Craig Moston Group tried to buy Harvey Beef two or three years ago. They ended up getting outbid by Mindaroo, which of course is Andrew Forrest's. Um, family company. Yeah, gotcha. Um, And another piece of news in our current edition, I had a good talk to Ian Kent, who's chief executive of Sadlier's Logistics, big trucking company owned by Lionel Sampson Sadlier's, which famously is the, uh, well, second longest running 
family business in the country, currently up to their eighth generation. Um, so, you know, quite an extraordinary achievement. And so Ian's talked about the national growth plans for their trucking business. So good to see them yeah. um, continuing to, uh, to grow. And uh, interesting when you go along to an annual meeting, if you're a member of those families, you know, the eighth generation spreads very widely. Yeah, gotcha. But of they've it does. kept the ownership in the family. Yep. Yeah, and you know they've yeah they've had an interesting time, haven't they? Just thinking back to the VNV Walsh thing, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but um, a five-year kind of sell-down period or whatever transition period is quite long. Is it because I think VNV Walsh have made some really great deals up in China, from recollection, and presumably that's very relationship-based. You don't want to buy a relationship and find that in a couple of years' time it's all evaporated. I presume. Do you think? Uh, look, I imagine that would be a significant factor in this. Um, and you know, I guess it's also just long-term planning. Yeah. That, you know, they, they're looking ahead and saying, like many family businesses, who's going to take over? And in many cases, the founder doesn't think ahead far enough and doesn't have a succession plan. Mm-hmm. So it's good when they do think ahead and put in place something like this. Yeah, right. There's an absolute. There's a, there's an end point. Gotcha. Now, Mark, we all talk about the boom and bust economy in WA. Uh, but a new study says it's not true. Yeah, Committee for Perth today has done some work with uh, some of the economists at UWA, and they're saying it's a myth. Certainly uh, caught my attention because it's you know, accepted wisdom. Um, well, not only that, we've lived through a very recent one. That's right. <laughs> Bit of both. Well, they've actually gone back and looked at some of the numbers. So things like gross state product, um, housing prices, unemployment, inflation... And they're saying that when you look at Western Australia over um, you know, 20 odd years, that in fact we've outperformed other states and that there's more resilience in the economy here. So in fact, they're saying between 1991 and 2016, gross state product in WA increased every year. Mm. Uh, housing, you know, we all remember there was that big spike in Perth property values and then it's fallen away. Well, you know, that is a bit volatile, but of course, Sydney and Melbourne, particularly with the big run-up they've had in the last couple of years, they've actually had more volatility mm. than Western Australia. So perhaps it's not so much that we've got a, a steady, stable economy, perhaps it's the fact that every state in Australia is exposed to a lot of volatility. Yeah, right. They just have the yeah volatility for different reasons, perhaps. Yeah. yeah it's an intriguing view, isn't it? Um, I guess... I guess when you look at underlying, the underlying numbers, when, you, when we have a mining boom, for instance, what we see is often the share market, and I know this last time we saw on the ground as well, we saw a lot of investment, we saw business investment, we saw population growth, and a lot of pain that came with that, I suppose. But you actually do build something, and you, know, you, you get the after effect of ongoing production from those mines, which is really employing a lot of people, bringing in a lot of royalties and taxes. And, you know, and I think a lot of people left the state, 50,000 people have left the state. So our unemployment figure isn't quite as real as it might have been in a, in a true bust in this case. So I wonder if there aren't a few hidden elements to it. I certainly um, had a good chat with uh, Paula Rogers from CEDA um, and we're doing a, uh, I'm doing a CEO lunch with her. Um, but the uh, the um, 
one of the things she talked about was this economy in transition. And I think this sort of post-mining boom, I think we are actually quite good at filling in the, filling in the pieces with agriculture and agribusiness, and we have done every time. So, uh, you know, I think it's just kind of a fascinating subject. Yeah, okay. And one other area that people often focus on is, is sort of technology, biotech, um, you know, that innovation space, and which is a nice lead-in that during the week uh, you hosted uh, Fiona Wood at a breakfast event, um, renowned medical entrepreneur, um, Australian of the Year some years ago, and I was there listening in. It was a very entertaining and, in fact, very inspiring story. Uh, she's one of those, another very energetic enthusiastic person yes great story to tell yeah. what did you think well look look it was a great interview and uh, it's on there it's on our website and a video if you want to watch it um uh, look there were a couple of key takeaways for me uh, first of all was this great quote i think i frustrated them enormously because i said you're not telling me the rules of engagement all i know is i need three million i know you've got it uh, and, and, we, and we can spend, and it, we're arguing about percentages and things uh, of the company and all. I said, we could be here a day, a week, an hour. It's three million is this. And I was so frustrated. And Marie's sweating behind me, poking me in the middle. Like, so he goes, no, we hold our line. We hold our line. Uh, because I knew we would be dead in the water without that money. We, and so after three hours, they threw the towel in. And they said, okay, then, and off we went. Now, that is just hilarious. And, you know, this whole idea that, uh, you know, she goes in there without any knowledge of something and got got to the nub of it, I think, is is just crystallises her approach to things. Um, Another thing that I, I took away was she talked about avoiding people who just say no. You know, she said, they're not helpful to you. And she said, just because someone says no doesn't mean they have to be an obstacle. I mean, effectively, she said, don't take no for an answer. But what she really said was, find the people who, when they say no, help you to find the way around no to yes. Not the people who just say no, and that's it, it's cut and dry. And I found that really interesting. I think that's something that when we're dealing with, you know, all parts of our business, internal people and external parties, that's quite fascinating. Because the way forward is to get people who can help you come up with solutions, not just say, no, this is how we've always done it. I find that. So look, they're just a couple of key takeaways for me. Generally speaking, though, very amusing, very passionate. And uh, she did say, which I thought was a classic, everyone should go and get a first aid course because they would save lives and money by doing so. Because in the end, you know, patching someone up or doing the right thing at the very beginning of some trauma actually makes all the rest of the medical process easier. And I guess as someone who deals with burns victims, she knows, you know, she just said, look, 20 minutes of cold water or cool water can make a huge difference to what she needs to do and the outcomes and the cost. Anyway, pretty fascinating. Um, Now, Mark, special report this week is on wealth creators, our version of a rich list. You've singled out Rod Jones for special attention. Yeah, look, uh, Matt McKenzie has been crunching the numbers and got a really interesting list. So 50 individuals, uh, mostly company directors, and we've looked at their holdings in listed companies. Total value, $11 billion. Now there's a couple of big names at the top, as you'd expect. Um, Andrew Forrest with his one third stake in Fortescue Metals. Uh, Kerry Stokes with his uh, big holding in Seven Group. Um, But you know, 
it's fascinating to run your eye down the list and see all the names of people who've built really successful businesses in Western Australia. And, you know, they've had ups and downs over the years, but, you know, still there. Uh, Rod Jones is one of them. Now, we've spoken to Rod because he's announced his retirement as Managing Director and Chief Executive of Navitas, you know, a globally successful um, education services business. He's already built up um, a substantial portfolio of investments outside of Navitas um, through his family office and looking at lots of technology um, ventures, um, some renewable energy uh, ventures. And like a lot of people that I've talked to, he's got a focus on making money, but he's also looking at things that are actually going to make a difference um, where there's some sort of valuable social outcome. And you know, in, in the article that Matt's pulled together, there's a list there of a lot of Rod's investments. And I think the readers will find it interesting to go through that, uh, mostly in Australia, um, some internationally. Um, so you know, I think it's a really um, positive example of, you know, he's built one great thing, but he hasn't just gone out and bought a big house and a big boat. He's out there doing other things. Mm-hmm. And in fact, while he says he's retiring as chief, well, while he is retiring as chief executive, He's certainly not retiring. He said he'd go crazy hmm. if you know, the idea of stopping and uh, sitting by the pool. Not that kind of person. No, not an unusual story for those kind of guys, I imagine. And look, you've mentioned a few others. Is there any other detail in, in that feature or is that kind yep. of Yep. The... Um, so as I say, there's the, the 50 names that are published in that list. And people that want to get more, there's a, a recently um, added feature on our website um, there's a shareholdings tab on the home page. Click on that and you can see the details of how the value of shareholdings in listed companies has changed over the past four weeks. So you see the individuals there, like the Andrew Forrests and the Kerry Stokes, and you can see how much their portfolio has changed. There are hundreds of names on that database there. So great fun jumping in there and having a look around. Yep. So if you go to our homepage on the website, click on the shareholdings tab and start browsing. Absolutely. And updated every day from the closing price. And there's more than 1,600 directors and executives there, the cumulative total of their, their shareholdings. All right. Thanks very much, Mark. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Powell and Mark Bayer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts. And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud.